Welcome to my den and to this very fun and practical episode on high-performance leadership. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Mark Miller, who's the VP of high-performance leadership for Chick-fil-A. Mark's got a pretty amazing story that actually began at Chick-fil-A over 40 years ago. He started as an hourly team member and then became the 16th corporate employee. And since then, he's worked all over the organization uh, and now has written over eight books on leadership. And you'll get to hear the story today of how he became an accidental author through some mentors of his who encouraged him to talk about what the best practices for global leaders and historical leaders have been for all time. Mark's newest book is called Smart Leadership, and it's a fantastic book. If you enjoy the interview, I'd encourage you to check it out. Links are in the show notes, but it's called Smart Leadership, Four Simple Choices to Scale Your Impact. And we talk a little bit about the book today, uh, about Mark's story and about what, what gave him the impetus to write this book. But more so, we delve into three interesting areas. The first is we dissect servant leadership misnomers. I had some questions from Mark as a native digital about how servant leadership comes across to my generation and how we, can, how we should view it differently. The second area we discuss is some interesting trends on TikTok going around where Gen Zers are promulgating ideas such as telling their managers, my schedule and my life do not revolve around your lack of planning when they're asked to work overtime. Mark has a response to that. And the third bucket is we discuss Mark's story and just how to be a great leader and how you as a leader, whatever role you're in, whether it's in HR or a business founder, that you can also grow your team of leaders successfully. Without further ado, let's get into this interview with Mark Miller. And don't forget that if you want to be a top 1% employer of Native Digitals, you really should join our free masterclass on the second and fourth Thursdays of every single month, where we make you a top Native Digital employer. You can register at hannahgwilliams.com forward slash get that shit. And now, hang on to your seats or your time machines if you're cool like that, and join me in my living room with the amazing Mark Miller. You're listening to Native Digital, Native Analog, the show where we unpack the collisions and commonalities between my generation and yours. I believe that if you don't have a Native Digital on your board of directors, your leadership team, or at least one you pay to pester you like a fly in your ear, your business won't survive. Let's change that today. One of the first questions that I wanted to ask you was, I know you've written, is it eight books now or is this the ninth? Ten. Ten? Oh, goodness. We need to get your website updated. I think your bio still says eight. Yeah, it, okay, it you're probably there. does. Nice. Okay, so you've written 10 books so far. So when you were thinking about writing your very first book, what was the impetus to get started? Well, I'm really the accidental author. 
So let me tell, tell you how that came to be. We had been working on a project to try and figure out how to accelerate leadership development. And I'd put a really smart team of folks on this issue. We realized we didn't have uh, the leadership bench that we needed. You know, most organizations, when you have a problem to solve or an opportunity to seize, you put a leader on it. And we looked over our shoulder and went, uh-oh. And we were saying things like, I hope she can lead in the future, and I think he can lead in a few years. And what you do in those situations is you, you just put more on your existing leaders, which is a legitimate short-term answer, but it's a disaster if you project that into the future. So I was asked to try and figure out how to accelerate leadership development, put this really good team together. And we worked a couple of years on how we might do that. And we got to what we thought was a, an ending spot. And we had what I would call a, a crisis of confidence. We said, what if this is not right? Because we sell chicken for a living, right? And, and here we are in this new world trying to think about leadership development. And we had certainly applied a lot of rigor and discipline and time, but we weren't sure we had it right. And somebody said, what if we got other people who actually know something about leadership development to give us some feedback? And I said, fantastic. What a great idea. I said, I'm going to be with Ken Blanchard tomorrow. And I don't know if your listeners know Ken Blanchard, um, management and leadership thinker and author. He's the only guy in history, the last time I checked, to have three books on the New York Times bestselling list at one time. His most famous book is called The One Minute Manager. And he was a friend of mine, and I was actually going to be with him in a meeting the next day. And so I took what we had created to Ken, single sheet, one five bullet points and said, Ken, we've been trying to figure out how to accelerate leadership development. Take a look at this. Do you think we, we missed anything? Do you think this will stand the test of time? You know, give, give me some feedback on this. And the first thing out of his mouth was, this has got to be a book. And I blew him off. And I said, Ken, everything looks like a book to you, which is why he sold about 50 million books probably. And he said, no, you don't understand. He said, you guys were trying to articulate what great leaders do in your organization. He said, what you've done is you've articulated what great leaders have done throughout history. And it's got to be a book. And so, um, you know, he planted that seed. I still dismissed it. I called him later and I said, Ken, that crazy idea you had about a book. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, if we were going to do a book, how would we proceed? And he said, well, he said, we got two choices. He said, either you can write the first draft or we can hire someone because he was at that stage in his career when he wasn't doing first drafts. And I said, well, OK, let me get back to you. And I thought about it a while. And I said, I don't know if I've got one book in me or 10 and no disrespect to men and women who, who write for other people. But I said, I don't think I want my first book written by somebody else. And so I told him that I would uh, I'd do that first draft. And so it was never a, a specific goal or aspiration, but. He nudged me, and uh, we wrote The Secret 20, almost 25 years ago, and it's now in 25 languages. So it's been, it was a fun first effort, um, and I learned a ton from Ken. He was a great mentor uh, as I launched my writing career. That is amazing, and it just brings to mind kind of what happened when I first started thinking about writing a book, but kind of the the 
task seemed so daunting, but for me, having a mentor who was guiding me through it was huge. So did you, did, did you ever see yourself as an author years before that? Like, you know, high oh, school, no. college? No, 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 no. My, my wife made a comment, uh, when I started that project, she said, now that's pretty interesting. A guy that's never read a book is now writing one, <laughs> which was a bit of an overstatement, but, but I was not a big reader, um, back in the day. And so again, he provided the nudge and our organization was very supportive, uh, cause I went to them and said, Hey, Ken's got this crazy idea. And I think they demonstrated what, what you might call an abundance mentality. They said, why don't you do it? Maybe it would serve the world. Of course, none of us had any concept that the book would go to 25 languages. But I, again, I thought it was a fine moment for, for those senior leaders that said, yeah, you, you've, got a, you've got a book here uh, that might serve people. And so mm -hmm. why don't you do it? And Ken and I did. So I have to ask, because it seems like, you know, okay, so I'm 24 and I remember back when Chick-fil-A was, you know, I, I guess not, it wasn't the brand that it is now, at least that's my perception. You know, when I would go get chicken nuggets at age four, five, six, I still had those memories of playing on the playground and, and enjoying the, the chicken nuggets. But it seems like Chick-fil-A back then was seen pretty similarly to, you know, any other fast food chain with better chicken. But now... Chick-fil-A is this, of course, this motto for every organization that wants to be great leaders, to be the for, you know, most forward thinking in their industry. And so I wonder, and I don't even know if you can correlate this to anything, but I wonder how much the books you've written and other leaders at Chick-fil-A have written have really created that brand, you know, that, that Chick-fil-A is known for now. What would you say? Yeah, I, I would I would refer you to uh, Jim Collins' metaphor of the flywheel, and you may recall either hearing him talk about it or reading him describe the flywheel. And he says, "Is it the first push, or the hundredth push, or the ten thousandth push, where you experience that breakthrough?" when that momentum begins to really become a thing. And I think the work I've done e each and every project has just been another push. But I think every sandwich that's served and every sam uh, every smile that's given and every my pleasure that that is uttered from a team member, I, th I think those are all pushes on the flywheel. And I think it's impossible to know uh, the impact in each and every one. But collectively... We're thankful. We've, we think we've actually been able to create something remarkable. Mm -hmm. oh, I would completely, completely agree. And I just want to say, Mark, for the purpose of this interview, I, I want to dive into your new book. I want to do all that jazz, get to know you kind of apart from Chick-fil-A and, and the chicken sandwich. But I do have to tell you this funny story because I think it's a great example of how I've observed, you know, as a native digital and Chick-fil-A is still like Gen Z's top fast food chain. So I, I have to say this, this is interesting. So I worked at Biltmore Estate in North Carolina as my kind of first job out of college. And there's a side of Biltmore that does training and learning and development, very similar to Disney Institute. 
And, uh, and Chick-fil-A was one of our clients, a couple of the franchises. It was, you know, we had, I think it was a couple from Georgia, a couple from Tennessee. And anyway, we're in this workshop together and myself, another colleague are leading it. We're having such great conversations. And, uh, and one of the other trainers said, I'm going to go in and test Chick-fil-A one time and everybody knows about, you know, my pleasure and whatever. So I'm going to walk in and I'm going to say, instead of thank you for which, you know, the employee responds, my pleasure, I'm going to test him and say, you, you're great, man. And see what he says. You see what the employee says. And uh, he went into this, his, the guy's name is Chris, the one who, who was doing this test. And he, he walks into the Chick-fil-A and he goes, uh, you're great, man, to the guy. And you could see the employee go, wait, what do I say? You know, what, what do I say? And finally he said, oh, you know, okay, thanks. And kind of laughed it off. And uh, anyway, Chris went back to the training and we were talking with, with these leaders and he's, and, and they said, you know, we got to do something about this, you know, make it a little bit less scripted. And so anyway, since that time, those very same Chick-fil-A's I've noticed, I've been, you know, when I frequent them now, they don't always say my pleasure. It's not always scripted. They're coming up with new innovative ways. And it made me think, you know, there's so many things about, about Chick-fil-A besides, you know, the, the innovation and the drive-through and the app and, and all the things that we see as customers. But what happens on the leadership side tends to be a little bit less tangible. And I realized for a second, I got a glimpse into what really and truly those leadership practices and the customer service practices are doing on the back end that's making every the experience even more authentic and even just that one little notch better than it could be. And that was amazing. I, I thought, how, how can a, a, a chain, you know, a fast food chain transform that quickly? Anyway, I just had to share that because it's such a testament to the work that you do and, and all that, you know, um, the, the different franchise owners and all the employees are doing to make Chick-fil-A always that notch above literally everybody else. Well, thank you for that. We're, we're pushing on the flywheel. Yeah, nice. Okay, so I want to shift gears a little bit here because I've been reading through Smart Leadership and there's so many practical things in here. But since we're, this is the show where, you know, I as a native digital want to ask uh, challenging questions like you talk about in, in smart leadership, I want to get your reaction to some of the things that I've been hearing among my peers who are for the first time being led by, you know, it's the first time working in an organization. And one of the things that we talk about on this show is that, Native digitals are not just another generation, but a new category of human, meaning that we're the very first generation that has grown up completely integrated with machines, with machine learning, with technology. And so one of the things that I've noticed with my generation as we're coming to work is our expectations are so different from other generations before us. And, and so a couple of these things have been going around TikTok right now. And I just want to get, <laughs> we just want to get your reactions because you did, since we spoke last, did you um, launch your TikTok account? I did. I did. Ah. I'm, I'm on the learning curve. That's, what is your handle? I want to look it up. Mark Miller Leadership. Mark Miller Leadership. Okay. That's awesome. Any, any feedback in coaching would be appreciated. <laughs> we figured we had to start somewhere. Yes. We had to start somewhere. 
No, that's awesome. I I will definitely look it up. And um, I think I shared with you that my my friend Steve Cadigan, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, he also has a TikTok, and it's just been it's been doing some really cool things for him. And I actually did the research for our conversation together with him on TikTok. And he okay. said it's the very first podcast he's ever been on where someone's done the research on TikTok. But well, I will say this that I yeah. did my first batch, and I say first batch. I mean, I'm trying to you know, authentically do them in the moment and they're not really produced. I'm doing them on my phone. And I I did a batch over about a two or three week period, just here, there and yonder at Starbucks in my backyard and everywhere else. And I sent them to my team and they said, these are really good and we'll use them, but they're, they're about a minute each. And I said, yeah, I thought they were supposed to be. And they said, well, for the next batch, can you do 30 seconds each? And so here we go. I'm, uh, I'm jumping head first into micro influence, I think is what they're calling it. I'm just trying to add value in 30 seconds where uh, it was a stretch for me to try to add value in a minute. So I'll be anxious to get your feedback. Well, you know, it's actually interesting you say that because I I was talking with a leader recently. This is completely tangential, but it's interesting. So I was talking with a leader recently and she said, oh my gosh, we just had, you know, this group of interns come in there, you know, there's probably eight of them. And in previous years, we've had so much engagement from our interns. Like they want to ask questions and all these things. Well, this time I had this group of eight interns come in and our senior, you know, general manager, it was a country club. So our general manager came and spent half a day with them, like gave up his valuable time. And those students seemed so uninterested, like just bathroom breaks all the time. And they didn't really, they didn't really want to engage. And, and she was sitting here, you know, ranting to me. And I said, have you been on TikTok lately? Like, have you, have you gone on TikTok lately? And she said, well, no, I, I don't really even know anything about it. And I said, you know what the students are doing in the bathroom break, right? They're going and flipping through their phones and on in 30 second videos, they're learning, learning more on their bathroom break than they're learning in your classroom. <laughs> they're learning for 30 seconds with Mark Miller or 30 seconds with Steve Cadigan. And they're going back to the general manager who's doing these long drawn out things they've probably heard before. No wonder they're disengaged. Anyway, it's a completely different learning environment, 100%. Okay, but let me throw this this out at you. So there's a couple scenarios that have been going around on TikTok. And uh, and these are just native digital kind of new um, ways of thinking, I guess you could say. And so I'm curious to get your reactions and especially reaction as to what how a leader should handle these situations. So the first scenario is... There's a trend right now that is going around where um, creators are are creating videos about how you respond to various uh, situations at work or expectations at work. And so one of them, the scenario is an employee is asked to stay extra hours, pick up extra hours because there's not enough staff. And the employees are being taught to respond in this way. They're, They're taught to respond and say, my schedule and my life will not revolve around your lack of planning. That's the response. And that's going viral. Everybody on TikTok, you know, millions of people are starting to use this response when they're asked to work overtime. So I'm curious, just what should a leader do? If you have a a Gen Z employee walk up to you and say, I'm sorry, but my schedule and my life do not revolve around your lack of planning. 
Well, I understand the spirit and the sentiment of it. Um, so I want to I want to honor that and I want to acknowledge that. I would say there might be a more um, delicate way to express those thoughts, feelings, and concerns. And I mean, we can just brainstorm here, but if, if again, I don't know that I can even play the role of a Gen Z for a moment, but let me try. And so you've come to me and said, hey, I need you to pick up some extra hours. And I'd say, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that today. Uh, let's look at the calendar for the next week and see if there's some opportunities when I can add value hmm. and make my schedule work. So I, I don't I don't I don't know that I would feel the need to call somebody out. And I know whoever posted that video is they're probably trying to be provocative, which is probably why it's going viral. If 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 you said it in a more courteous and honoring tone, it might not it might not go viral. But um, I think I think leaders have to be willing to work with their team. And I would say I would encourage team members to be willing to work with their leaders. Perhaps it wasn't poor planning. It, it might be. I mean, there's an assumption there. Uh, maybe it's an unexpected demand from a customer. Maybe it's an unexpected demand from some other part of the leadership. Maybe maybe somebody you mentioned a talent shortage. Maybe somebody's called in sick and they're really they're really, in essence, helping another team member by covering some hours. And so I think there's some more context that that the employee probably needs that I would encourage the leader to provide context when they make the request. That's such a good point. And I think, at least in the comments, so many people are missing this, right? Because we all, the response always seems to be to provocative things like this, which are actively being used by whoever is absorbing this content, right? The response is always, how do we get the Gen Zer to change their perspective or how they approach it? But I love what you just said, which is, what if the leader, what if their new responsibility, the leader's new responsibility because of viral information like this now, what if the leader's responsibility is to provide that context? You know, so like, what, what if I came, I'll be the Gen Z, or if I came to you and said, um, Mark, I'm sorry, but, you know, I already have things planned and my schedule does not revolve around your lack of planning. What, what could you say as a leader that could, you know, just to give people some context for how they might approach this coaching conversation with their employee, what yeah. might you say? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, again, that even for you to say what you just said would assume that I have not provided you with adequate and appropriate context. So uh, if, if we're playing this out in real time, I would say, Hannah, I, I understand completely and I'm glad you have a life outside of work and I want you to have a life of fulfilling and full life outside of work. Uh, let me let me tell you why I've asked. And if you can't do it, you can't do it. But I want you to understand the context. And, and here's what's happened here. It, you know, it actually wasn't a lack of poor planning or or maybe Hannah, it wasn't a lack of planning on our part. It was actually lack of planning on the part of one of our customers. But we need to honor that relationship as well. And part of what they are paying us for is to go the extra mile. And part of what they're paying us for is to add value beyond what some of our competitors might do. And so, you know, we've got a brand of, of going the extra mile. And from time to time, customers are going to ask us to do things. We won't always be able to do it. 
today may be one of those days. If you can't stay and no one else can stay, we'll have to tell that customer, we're sorry we can't. But I'd, I'd love for you to understand the context. I love that response so much. And you know, it's interesting, Mark, speaking of your book, when I was reading through the section on confronting reality, one of the things that you talked about was so many leaders don't understand when they are either not competent or they have shortcomings. And I don't know how many leaders would have the wherewithal to understand they need to have the conversation that you just gave right there, <laughs> that, that they would have the wherewithal to say, let me take two minutes out of my very busy schedule to actually explain the context of what happened. Right. So I mean, here's what, what I would say. Experience? Yeah. Here's what I would say to, to a Gen Zer that might not have the world's greatest boss. You can help them. You can help them. And people ask me all the time, how do you be successful? I, ha I, I had that question today. I said, you help your boss be wildly successful. That's how you can become successful. So let's say that I'm clueless and I've said, hey, Hannah, I need you to work like three hours tonight. Well, you, okay, and I've given you no context. You can ask for context. You can say, Mark, I, 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 really, I really don't think I can do this. I do have plans, but tell me what's going on. Tell me, tell me why this matters. Tell me how urgent is this? Is this like really something that urgent? I mean, I do have plans, but if, if the company's going out of business, if we don't do this, I might can change my plans. So you can ask for context. You can ask for what you need from your leader. That doesn't mean you've got to change your plans. It doesn't mean you've got to change your mind. But if, if your leader doesn't have the awareness or the wherewithal to give you what you need, in this example, it's context. Sometimes what they, they don't have the wherewithal to know that you need resources or they don't know that you need time or they don't know that you need coaching or they don't know that you need skills. It's like, I want to give not just Gen Z, I want every employee to have the agency to let their leaders know what they need to be successful. And I, I think if, if I'm that clueless leader, and I have been that clueless leader from time to time, because we all get busy and we're focused and we're distracted and we've got too much going on, and maybe we're in quicksand uh, ourselves. And so I love it when an employee says, time out, stop, stop, stop. I can think of situations where people have come into my office employees and said, hey, let me tell you what I need from you. And I'm thinking, man, this is fantastic because I'm usually trying to figure it out. I'm usually trying to kind of read the tea leaves and I'm trying to discern and I'm trying to listen to what you said and what you didn't say and how you said it and who you said it to. I love it when an employee says, here's what I need. And so I would say, man, fantastic. If you say to your leader, hey, give me some context here. Tell me what's going on. What's the backstory? That's a legitimate request. That is that's huge, seriously, and because it really, it it gives us some context, not just Gen Z or the employee side, and not just the leader side, for what might be driving a viral video like this from TikTok, which I would assume comes from someone who is in a situation with very poor management, management that's not even trying, right? And somehow this message has spread that every manager has bad intentions. And I don't believe that's the case whatsoever. I've had some incredible leadership in my life. But I would say to your point, sometimes it's just clueless leadership, or sometimes it's just 
we're in quicksand, there's so much happening, it's very, very difficult for that leader to constantly be able to read the tea leaves. So I, you know, there's clearly two sides to this equation. That's why I'm so glad we're having this conversation is I feel like both employees and leaders that I work with are constantly walking on eggshells, trying to understand what the other person wants instead of just having an open, candid conversation. And, uh, and that's something I love about what Native Digitals or Gen Z is bringing to the workplace, at yeah. least in you know some types of roles, is this clear, just no BS mentality of tell, tell me what I need, you know, <laughs> I'll tell you. And that can come across negatively and positively, depending on how you look at it. Yeah. And I would also just say one more thing, and it's, it's, it's me trying to read the tea leaves a little bit, even in the the statement. Let's forget tone for a minute, because I think how you say things matters. But for an employee to say, my life does not revolve around your poor planning or whatever you said, it tells me that there's probably not alignment. There's probably not trust. There's probably not engagement. So we can actually, you know, role play this scenario. But if you're not careful, you won't deal with the trust issues or the alignment issues or some of those other uh, maybe even root causes that would lead an employee to take almost an adversarial role when their leader asked them to do extra hours. That, that's what I would say. 100%. You really want to you really want to deal with that. I could not agree more. And uh, that, that's another fault of these 30 second videos. I'm all for 30 second learning, micro learning. But it also leaves us with a lot of questions about context that especially a young person from my age group or even younger, you know, a teenager watching something like that is not considering all the factors. We simply just don't have enough experience to consider all the factors. And, you know, sometimes it is a leader's responsibility to help us understand those things. And sometimes we're just every single person who watches a video like that is missing the context of the underlying culture. If that employee has great, you know, a great report card, you could say, or if they're just failing and struggling and looking to get some viral attention just to, you know, display their grievances. You, you just we, nobody ever knows the context. And that's unfortunate, I would say. Well, it's unfortunate. Uh, and it's it's. Honestly, the challenge I'm facing as as a communicator, I mean, I feel like I'm on the planet to serve leaders. That's why I'm here. That I'm not doing it to make money. I'm not doing it to get famous. I'm not doing it to sell books. As I want to encourage and equip leaders. And and so again, I'll I'll go on this journey because I know TikTok is our current example, but it was it was something else before and it was blogs before that, and it'll be something else in six months. But but that is as a communicator and a guy who's been leading for a long time, my concern is I don't know how to provide the context and content without context is, is a dangerous thing. And, and often it, it, it loses its value. And so I want to be careful. I'm not putting out videos that, that aren't helpful. Even like that one might not really be helpful because I, I haven't learned yet how to provide the context and the content in 30 seconds. So that's the journey I'm on because you just got to be careful. Uh, the, 
you can have, I think you can have the greatest influence and understanding and application when you put context and content together. And so as the time gets compressed and compressed and compressed and compressed, and we went from 700 word blog post to 500 word blog post to 300 word blog post to, can you just write it in a caption on Instagram, which is even less than a 30 second video. And so, um, so I'm, that's the, I'm excited about learning new skills, but my, my intent has not changed. I'm, I'm trying to serve leaders, but you've hit on a real big issue. The, the context is what you tend to lose when you push things down to such tiny little uh, slivers, mm-hmm. increments of time. Yeah. And it, it gives a, uh, an open, opens an opportunity to have a series, for example, on TikTok or, you know, the ability for someone to see an out of context short snippet and then to go purchase smart leadership and read the whole book, right? Or well, they might, go- they might, they might, <laughs> they might, maybe not a Gen Z but you know, um, <laughs> so I, I want to dive into this a little bit into smart leadership specifically. Um, so one of the things that I love in, in all of your work and, you know, smart leadership, notwithstanding is the discussion about servant leadership. And I did, I really, really, really wanted to ask you this question because it's been on my heart ever since I started working with students and also with, you know, CEOs from the native analog generation. And one of the things that I've noticed is, and, and you correct me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me from my perspective that the term servant leadership or the practice of servant leadership, from my perspective, tended to be a response to older styles of management. You know, the dogmatic, never let your employees know everything. And it it almost felt like there was this massive shift in the, you know, the last couple of decades where leaders are saying, you you need to become a servant first and ask questions and be empathetic, which all those things are great. But here's, here's my question, because I find myself conflicted with with leading Gen Zers and also with um, folks from other generations is Gen Z seems to be teetering almost too far toward the side of servant leadership, at least as CEOs in my observation. I have a few clients who are Gen Z CEOs, like they're, you know, 22, 23, 24, and they own their own companies. And one of the struggles that I see is they've taken servant leadership and that concept so much to heart that the skills I see lacking in them as leaders are courage and resilience and the ability to make really difficult decisions. So I I just wanted to get your thoughts on, well, number one, (laughs) am I thinking about this whole servant leadership thing, right? And then number two, how can leaders who are in that position of leadership now of Gen Z help equip the next generation with some of those leadership skills that actually may not come to us as naturally, which are things like courage and bravery and resilience. Okay. There's a lot in that question, but there might even be a couple of questions there. So let me, let me see if I can, for, I need to, I want to start by maybe challenging one assumption. I hate to, because I wish you were right. I do not see a mass movement towards servant leadership. Mm. Now, maybe we're just traveling in different circles. Uh, I still run into people 
constantly that think servant leadership is an inferior form, a lesser type of leadership. And to those men and women, I would say, I don't think you understand servant leadership because traditional leadership is like a crop duster and servant leadership is like an F-18. Servant leadership is the highest form of the discipline. But I don't I don't encounter many leaders who get it. I think there are a lot of misperceptions, misconceptions, I should say, um, about servant leadership. And so let me let me just tick off a couple. I would never say that a servant leadership philosophy, mindset, or practice is associated with lack of courage. Now, that might be a watered-down version, or you see somebody who doesn't have that, and somebody may label them a servant leader, but I would say... A servant leader is a leader first who is who is motivated and compelled by an unshakable desire to serve others. So the servant part is about motivation. Servant leaders do the same thing other leaders do. They cast vision and they d- demonstrate courage and they build teams and they allocate resources and they they do all their leaders first. It's their heart that's different. It's their heart that's different. The, the skills are the same. They're the same. Now, when you get to the heart, I would say servant leaders, courage as one of your examples is one of the hallmarks of a servant leader. So if someone doesn't have courage, they're not a servant leader. I would argue they might not even be a good traditional leader because courage is one of those things that animates leadership, whether whether of the servant variety or not. Uh, I'll give you another character trait. Servant leaders think others first. They cultivate the ability to think others first. Traditional leadership, that is a foreign concept. But to me, that's a character issue. Now, it may show up in 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 your practices. And it would, but it but it's it's a it's a character issue. It's a heart issue, because am I thinking about you when I ask you to work overtime? I should be because I should be thinking about your life. And the sustainability of your career, right? You work too many hours, you're going to crash and you're going to burn. A traditional leader is probably not thinking about you. And so, again, there are fundamental differences, but most of them are at the character level. They're at the heart level. That makes complete so, sense. And I, before, so, I know you have a lot more to say. I want to dive into no. that just a little bit deeper. So <laughs> maybe, I, first of all, I love what you said about how you define find servant leadership, because I think it's one of those terms that gets so overused by so many people who think they know what it is. And I'm including myself among that because I've seen certain examples of servant leadership or so-called servant <clears throat> leadership that has taken this the servant mentality, I would say, to an extreme. So instead of having, like you described, all of the leadership qualities of courage and great decision-making and guidance and vision and all of those things, 
they've treated the servant mentality and, and kind of replaced it in there. So they, they become almost a, a weak leader who is, whose heart is in the right place, willing to serve, willing to give, but sometimes at the expense of the company's vision or at the expense of their team's vision. So absolutely, absolutely. It's one of these toxic things, like so many terms that get thrown around where it's been watered down and and perhaps not as clear, at least from what I've well, it's, observed. It's been watered down and it's been misapplied and it's been abused and it's been a scapegoat and it's been a hiding place. Um, yeah, um, it. It's it's tragic, actually, because it's the highest form of leadership. Right. But a servant, a servant leader is not weak. A servant leader just cares passionately about people and the mission. We say that that one of the fundamentals of a servant leader is they value results and relationships. They value results and relationships. Um, So I think I think there's there's ground to be taken. I think servant leadership needs a a brand remake, uh, a redo, if you will, because I'm not sure. I mean, it has been so mislabeled, miscategorized for so long. Uh, it's got a bad rep. I mean, and again, I think it's, it's, it's based on falsehoods. Um, but, but that is kind of the state of that term, which I think was embedded in your question. It's like these servant leaders, they lack courage. Well, then they're just lousy leaders, whether they're traditional, because traditional leaders without courage aren't good leaders either, right? <laughs> right, right. Right? So uh, there's work to be done there. 100%. So what would you say then in, in terms of those skills that I'm seeing a dearth of among my generation? And granted, mm-hmm. the old so the oldest Gen Zer is 26. So most of you know, my clients that I'm working with and, and the folks who listen to this show are leaders of teams of Gen Zers. And they come to me constantly with questions of how do I, as a leader, not overstep my bounds, but try to create resiliency in the next generation and actually help them see that as a good thing, not just being a pushover or going with the flow. How do I create that courage and resiliency in them? What what would be maybe beyond tips? What would be like some scenarios you would put you would if you were leading those Gen Zers lacking in courage or resilience? Some scenarios you would throw them into or experiences you would put them into to help build those skills. Well, let's let's take courage as an example. I think courage is a lot like a muscle. And the more you use it, the stronger it gets. And I would I would encourage and challenge young leaders to exercise that courage muscle on little things and little decisions. And that'll make it easier when you've got to make harder decisions and when more courage is required. Um, again, I think it, I think it's something you can do, but you, you, you have to be thoughtful and you have to be intentional. And if I'm the leader of someone, I'm going to, again, encourage and, and nudge and give them, decisions to make and then we're going to talk about it and how'd that go and what'd you learn and how'd that feel and what what did you take that that you can apply the next time you've got to make a similar or maybe even bigger decision 
and and then once that's happened a few times, I'm going to start reminding them of their wins. And then I'm going to remind them of the times they failed. It was not fatal. That you learned something and you're smarter and you're and if you'll apply that, you're actually wiser. I mean, we 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 could we could easily deceive ourselves and think, well, this is just what these young people need. It's what every generation has needed. It's what I needed 40 years ago as a young leader is somebody to say, hey, why don't you do this? I don't know how or I'm scared or I don't want you. Well, no, you, you can figure it out. And let's talk about it. Let me know. Come back. And let me know how it goes. And let's talk about what you learn. I mean. That, that's not I mean, I'm not saying Gen Z doesn't need that, but I needed it 40 years ago. I think that's part of growing the next generation of leaders. And I think it has been for a long, long time. Well, what you're saying reminds me of, of a great, I guess, piece of awareness that I saw recently where uh, I believe it was a leader, you know, CEO of a company who's probably in his 60s. And he said, guys, every generation has lazy people. Every generation has people struggling with, you know, resiliency or courage. Why are we labeling the next generation, our kids and grandkids, as the only ones with the problems, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's so, it, it's such, in my opinion, such a healthier lens to look through. Because I'll, I'll give you an example of some of the changes that I'm seeing within the native digital generation. I work with a client, they're out of DC, they're a, a Gen Z run company. And they came to me recently, and we're having this conversation about, you know, building leaders in their organization and all this. And one of the things they came to me and they said is, you know, everybody's been telling us we need to put performance reviews in place, like we need to have a performance review structure. And, uh, and the CEO told me, uh, he's, you know, 24, he said, I don't want to do performance reviews with my team. I just, I just don't think that's a healthy way to engage my team in this mission that we're building. I would rather have coaching conversations, build that into my culture. You know, and so instead of the performance review being this huge annual review that everyone kind of dreads or looks forward to, depending on their manager, why don't we make this an ongoing, continual coaching conversation? So what stood out to me about this discussion was, number one, his perspective that I'm not going to be the employer that all of these employees I've hired might have gone to work for after college. <laughs> They're choosing to work for me instead because I'm not going to do things the corporate way. But number two, it just reminded me that the coaching practices that you know you have been teaching and other leaders who've written so many great books and have done so much educational content around this topic of being just a fantastic leader. It's what you've been teaching for years, <laughs> like have coaching conversations often and frequently with your employees. Don't just wait until the one time or quarterly performance review. And yet Gen Z CEOs are adding this other, this other layer, which is a change in verbiage that's completely disrupting the way that the, the feedback and coaching and, and all of these things are being done. And so I just wanted to get your reaction. Like, do you know other organizations that are taking that approach of 
let's get let's get rid of this performance review. Let's let's have a better structure around feedback and coaching. Well, I don't I don't know if this would come as a surprise to you or not, but there has been a debate about the ver- the, the the value, merit, and approach to performance reviews. Well, at least for 40 years, because I've been in those conversations for 40 years, and I think there'll be conversations about that for the next 40 years. Um, And again, there's so many factors that I think will guide those decisions. But and, and we could we could talk about that, but I'd rather I'd rather like twist it just a little bit. And I think uh, when I had a chance to read your book and then you and I talked about it, even while it was being written, I think I want to offer some advice that I offered then is I, I'm no expert on any generation. I'm just not. I'm, I'm not an expert in my own generation. But but what I have tried to do and what I will continue to try to do is treat people as individuals. What what are their hopes? What are their dreams? What are their strengths? What are their struggles? What are their aspirations? And how can I add value to them? And the way I add value to you may be different than the way I add value to someone else. And I shouldn't be the one deciding. I mean, I can influence and I'll, I'm. And I will influence because some people say the way you add value is to leave me alone. And I may have to say, well, you know what? That's actually not going to be sufficient. If you want a career with with growing influence and growing opportunity and growing impact, you're going to have to let me into your world a little bit because the way you're doing it by yourself, it's not it's not going to lead you where you want to go. Now, you may not know that you may not see that you may not understand that. But I I think I am going to actually get involved. Because I think I know where you want to go. And I actually know how to help you get there. Even then, I'm going to move very carefully and very cautiously. Because I I understand the value and importance of readiness. And if I try to force something, I may end up with an employee like we talked about 30 minutes ago that thinks everything I do is a result of poor planning. I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. I really do believe that the leader is supposed to make their people wildly successful, just like they're supposed to make their boss wildly successful. And and so um, we can have a debate about the systemic solutions, including performance reviews. I would say fundamentally and generically, people deserve to know where they stand in an organization. So that the next time there's an opportunity or the next time there's a promotion, it's I don't want people to live in in darkness. It's like, well, I think I'm doing good. I don't know if I'm doing good. Does my boss think I'm doing good? Does my boss is boss? Well, performance reviews are one of those opportunities to like, okay, let's check in, let's align what's going well, what's not. So I'm not against those, but I would never substitute that for ongoing coaching. I actually think that's a pretty good tandem to say, we're going to do ongoing coaching and then we're going to calibrate from time to time. Here's where we are. Here's where you've made huge progress. Here's where you've not made huge progress. Here's what I've tried to help you with. Here's what worked, what didn't. You tell me what worked, what didn't. Um, I mean, leadership at the end of the day is still about people. It's still about people. It's not about generations. It's about people. And I think we get in trouble when we paint with a broad brush. Thank you for that. And I love 
what you said about calibration. I think it's a great word to summarize this because calibration in and of itself gives us, at least for me, this, this connotation or this image of it's not just the leader doing the calibration, it's the leader and the employee doing the calibration and saying, where am I based on my own goals and where I want to go? And I think that was at the heart of what this CEO, this Gen Z CEO was describing for me is how do we make this a two-way process instead of a review that an employer is giving the employee based on the performance only they saw with their eyes through that. Well, year. I will also say this. I believe that the best performance review, just let's just use that term generically, is one that includes no surprises. Because we've been talking. We've been, we've been, I've been giving you feedback. I've been asking you questions. I've been giving you opportunities. We've been debriefing. I've been saying, I think you're going to have to step up here. I think you got to do this a little better. Here, here's some, here's some gaps. So when we get to that calibration point, let's use that example. Um, we've been having conversations and I've been saying, you got to do better. And, and let's pretend you've done better, but you've done this much better. And in your mind, it's like, I've done better. But I'm saying, look, I'm looking around the organization. I'm looking at the other people who are going to want that next job. And you're this much better is about this much short. See, that's a that's a performance review, but it's a calibration. It's like I'm not I'm not trying to dishonor you. I'm not trying to say you haven't made progress. I'm saying you got to keep making progress and we actually got to step it up because I know what your hopes and dreams are. And you can't get there with these increments, even though you feel good, you're getting better. I'm glad you're getting better, but you, you got to get better again. So I want the coaching, but I also love that point of, of calibration, that point of let's be sure we're agreeing because you may go, I'm better. I'm a 10 now. It's like, well, no, no, you're better. You're a seven now. It's like, right. I think those conversations matter. And the leader has to provide that context yep. for the employee who may not know where they stand. Exactly. Exactly. Now, all of so, this so presumes, much. all of this presumes that there have been conversations that precede all of this. Right. People talk about performance reviews. Ken Blanchard taught me this years ago. He said performance management. And I'm, I'm see if I can remember his language. He taught me this 30 years ago. It seems like he said there are three steps. There's performance planning. There's performance management, which is ongoing coaching, and then there's performance review. And if you don't, if you don't do all three, you've really not set someone up for success. You've probably set them up for failure because that performance planning is when we agree on what you're going to work on it and, and, and what are the opportunities and what are the goals and what are the strengths and what are the challenges. The management's ongoing coaching and the review is when you calibrate. And so I think that plan has worked for decades, and I'm guessing it's going to work for decades to come if you treat people like individuals. I love that. I appreciate that. Well, I have one last question for you since we're coming to the end of our time together, and this, is, this has been great. I love being able to role play this with, with an experienced leader who knows, <laughs> knows you know, how to handle curveballs coming their way. And I, I just see so many young leaders and mid-level leaders and even senior leaders really, really struggling to grasp some of these yeah. the, just principles of feedback coaching. I know you see this all the time too. Well, so, poor, poor leadership knows no level. Neither does great <laughs> leadership. 
I mean, you can have great leaders, right? And you can have great leaders at frontline supervisors and great CEOs, but you can have lousy leaders up and down an organization. So I, I understand that for sure. No kidding. So I just want to know, what do you point back to as like the most defining leadership moment in your career? It was early on. And it was when one of my early supervisors, I, mean, I started working as a teenager, so I had, I had had some other bosses, but I had a supervisor that explained to me your capacity to grow determines your capacity to lead. If you want more opportunity, you want more influence, you want to have greater impact. And if you want to connect the dots, ultimately more income in, in many situations, the path is lifelong learning. When you can't grow anymore, neither can your influence. And so he convinced me of that. And the reason that was a defining moment, that may just say, duh, to a lot of your listeners, well, that sort of makes sense. I'd never made the commitment to lifelong learning. Now, I wasn't old 40 years ago. I was young, but I was a lousy student. I never really applied myself. It didn't seem to matter that much. My parents wish I'd have made this commitment to lifelong learning earlier, right? Um, but I said, okay, if that's how the world works, if I want more influence, if I want more opportunity, if I want more impact, I'll commit to lifelong learning. Your capacity to grow determines your capacity to lead. Now, somebody asked me recently, they said, so are you saying if I, if I learn, I'll get promoted? I said, absolutely not. We control our readiness. The organization controls our opportunity. Now, I've talked to young people that say, I hate that. That's like, okay, I'm sorry. And there may be places you can find where every time you're ready, you get a promotion. But we've got men and women in our organization that are ready to go to the next level. But there's something called structure in an organization. And you need so many men and women at this level and so many men and women at this level and so many men and women at this level. And the fact that you or I might be ready for that next level, there may not be a seat and that's nobody's fault. And it actually has nothing to do with your readiness. What I am fearful is that you've got a lot of people of all ages when that seat becomes available, they're not ready. And they don't, they don't get the opportunity. Your capacity to grow determines your capacity to leave. So over 40 years ago, I said, okay, that's what I'll do. It's not my natural bent. It's not my natural bias. It's, learning is not one of my top five on strength finders. In fact, I'm not sure it's in my top 25. I made a decision. I'd rather listen to the radio in the car. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to listen to a book. Why are you doing that? Because I made a decision about 40 years ago. You want more opportunity, you want more impact, you want more influence. You got to commit to lifelong learning. So that's made all the difference for me. That's why I have this podcast, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I want to learn every time I'm on this with someone more experienced than me. So I really appreciate that. And I know I said that was the last question, but it did beg one more, um, which is I see in my life and, you know, on this show, I have a variety of leaders from all different industries, all different countries. But one of the things that I've noticed is, you know, we, those who are in the, the practice of leadership 
talk a lot about these same concepts because they're all true to humans, right? <laughs> like, duh, you need to treat people as individuals. Duh, you need to give them feedback. They need to know where they stand. Duh, duh, duh. So I'm just curious to kind of close us out here. What is an unpopular opinion that you have about leadership? Unpopular in any way you want to take that. Something that nobody else is saying or talking about or very few people that may, you know, rub some people the wrong way, but that you feel strongly as a leader you should have or possess or show in your leadership style. Well, it's something I mentioned earlier. It's that the best leaders think other first. They think others first. And I'm not even sure people are as put off by that as they're confused by it. Because it runs so counter to to conventional wisdom. And I think there's something in us that makes us all, by nature, self-serving. And I think the best leaders fight that. I always talk about you have to cultivate the ability to think others first. I don't think it's natural. So, so... It's let's just say it's the most countercultural thing I believe about leadership, because so many people go, really? Like, how do you do that? Or why would you do that? Or, well, that doesn't make any sense. And some of them who don't say that are thinking that it's like, nope, I'm doing something to, to take care of my career. I'm doing something to get me a promotion. I'm doing something to make her look bad. I'm doing something to make him look bad because that'll make me look better. I don't want to share this because somebody else might take it and do something with it. That's that's back to that whole scarcity mindset. That's not an abundance mindset. I, I think I think that's the most countercultural thing that I believe to be true to my core that so many leaders, either they don't get it or they've not done the hard work to cultivate it because you've mm-hmm. got to be willing and able for that to become your default. One last story. Uh, I did a 360 a couple of years back, and it was it was a legit 360. Like what I mean by that is it even came with a consultant who's going to come and sit down with you and review your results. And so the guy walked in and and he looked like he had had a bad day. I mean, he looked forlorn. He looked sad. He looked distressed. I mean, I don't even have the right vocabulary. It's like I figured something was wrong. And I said, are you okay? Yeah, the consultant. Oh, wow. And I said, are you okay? He said, well, yeah, yeah, very tentatively. And he said, he said, we're here to, I said, well, we're here to review my results. And he said, yeah. He said, it's about your, your 360 and your, your assessment. And I said, okay. And he said, the data is, is troubling and problematic. And I said, well, tell me more, tell me more. And because there was a quant side too, was it was it was a complicated thing we had done. And he said, according to the data, when you walk in a room, you're not trying to take charge, and you're not trying to lead. And I said, and your point? He said, well, that's what leaders do. And I said, that's not what all leaders do. He said, well, what are you trying to do? I said, I'm trying to add value. And sometimes that means I get to take charge. And sometimes it means I get to take out the trash. 
if you if you if you're thinking about yourself, you want to walk in a room and you want to take charge. If you're thinking about others, you want to walk in a room and say, "How can I add value here to that?" Thank you for that. That's such a, an amazing way to close this out, and so important for every leader to think about that consciously. I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel like writing that on a sticky note right now and sticking it on my monitor. So I have to see that every single day. It's about adding well, value. Okay. So let me give you, let me give you something and we'll, we'll close with this if you'd like. Um, it, it's a tip. It's, it's a trick. It's a, it's a technique to help cultivate that think others first. What would happen if you said, I'm going to try to add value every person I meet. Now, some in your audience are immediately going to say, well, that's impossible. Well, hold on, hold on. You got to listen carefully to what I said. I didn't say add value to every person you meet. I said, try to add value to every person you meet. Now, we don't have time to go through the ways you can do that, but there, there is an infinite list of ways you can add value to others. Trying is what changes you. If I'm trying to add value to you, I have shifted my focus off of me onto you. And if you try that over and over and over and over and over again, it'll change your heart. And if your heart's not right, nobody cares about your skills. Try to add value to every person you meet. I, then you won't. So, then you won't. Then you won't need that sticky note. <laughs> then, yeah. then it'll be like we're all wearing VR glasses, and you just see try to add value right in your front screen all the time walking around. <laughs> it's it's going to be it's going to be on the top of your mind, and then you'll do it at work. You'll do it at home. You'll do it at school. You'll do it. You'll do it everywhere you go. At the grocery store. At the grocery store. Thank at you. At the Mark. grocery store. Such such an amazing conversation and. You're welcome back anytime. I've really, really enjoyed this. And yeah, let's go out there and add more value. Add, add to each other. Let me know how I can add value to you. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to the Native Digital, Native Analog Show. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe, leave a rating and review, and tell your friends. If you're looking to connect and talk more about attracting and retaining Native Digitals, you can reach me at hannahgwilliams.com. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Yeah.